0: going on true crime fans i'm your host heath
1: and i'm your other host daphne
0: and you're listening to going west
1: Hope everybody had an awesome and fun Halloween. We usually like to start off the show with some five-star reviews that we get from Apple Podcasts. So, thank you so much to Terry from Columbus, Ohio, Denise and JB, and Misty from Austin, Texas.
0: And a big thanks to Savannah from Long Beach, California, Kelly from the Bay Area, and Mary Ellen from Bakersfield, California.
1: Thank you so much for your review, Lee from Tucson, Arizona, Chantel from Utah, and Maddie from Utah as well.
0: And then we have jennifer from texas leah from columbus and jody from boardman ohio
1: Big thanks to Alicia from Bangor, Michigan, Dalen from New Mexico, and Evan from Indianapolis, Indiana. And last but
0: not least, we have Chris from LA, Anna from Ireland, Nadine from Ontario, Canada, and Paul, if you're out there in Chicago listening, your girlfriend says that you're stinky. Thanks, Maria.
1: And we want to say thank you to our new patrons who joined us on Patreon for some bonus episodes. Thank you, Erica, Michelle, Jim jessica elizabeth and carrie you guys are awesome and for those of you who are not a part of patreon we just released a new bonus episode on the Texarkana moonlight murders that went up on halloween it's a great episode there's six others to listen to that are already up there it's five dollars a month and it really helps out the show big shout out as well to ashley for recommending this case to us thank you so much if anybody else has case recommendations go over to our instagram at going west podcast and drop us a line
0: And make sure, guys, if you want a shout-out on our show, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, but make sure to leave your name and your location. Without further ado, guys, this is episode 43 of Going West, so let's get into it.
2: after the murder of UNC student Faith Hedgepath, her family is still no closer to having closure. The 19-year-old was found beaten to death inside of her Chapel Hill apartment. To this day, her murder remains unsolved. CBS North Carolina's Bill Minnick spoke with her sister, who says she hasn't given up getting justice.
0: She was a great person, an awesome student. Time heals nothing. Uh, You just adapt and go on with life because you have to. The UNC student's body was found in her Chapel Hill apartment bedroom. An autopsy revealed she died from a severe beating to her head. You have people walking around who've done this to her, and they think they'll get away with it. They walk around living their lives when they stole her.
1: When Faith was just a year old, her parents divorced, so she moved with her mother and sister to Hollister, North Carolina. Faith and her family were members of Mount Bethel Baptist Church, and Faith was always very active in the church, and she was also a part of youth choir. In high school, she was a cheerleader and also an honor student, and she had a ton of friends, and she was also really close with her family, so even when she did go off to college, she saw them as much as she could, and she didn't go far away anyway. Once she graduated high school, she got an academic scholarship and started going to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which was just about an hour and a half away from her hometown.
0: During college, Faith was hoping to become a pediatrician or potentially a teacher, but in the meantime, she worked as a server at Red Robin. After her first couple years of studies, she got an off-campus apartment near school with one of her best friends, who she met at school named Karina Rosario and Karina's boyfriend, Eric Takoy Jones. This was a more temporary living situation for Faith because she was hoping to get another apartment when her financial aid came in in her first semester of junior year. And she moved into the apartment in August of 2012, so just a few weeks before the school year started. So Karina and her boyfriend Eric had a lot of problems because Eric was very abusive towards her. He was kicked out of the apartment on multiple occasions since it was their apartment before Faith got there and would then try to break in afterwards when Karina changed the locks.
1: Right, and it's my understanding that when Eric moved out or when he was kicked out is when Faith came in and they, in my understanding, were sharing a room. So it's not like Faith had her own room. She was just kind of staying at a friend's place until she got her own place.
0: So Faith was basically helping Karina during these very hard times with Eric and she even helped her get a restraining order against him. So in turn, this whole thing made Eric hate Faith even more since she was supporting he and Karina's breakup. And they even talked on the phone, and Eric said that he would kill her if Karina wouldn't get back together with him. So even though a lot of people say things like this and don't mean it literally, he was sort of blaming Faith for everything.
1: Fall semester began, and on Thursday, September sixth, two 2012, Faith decided to rush. Alpha Pi Omega is a Native American sorority historically, and so she was interested in joining. So that night, around 5.45 p.m., She went to the sorority house for the rush event and stayed until about 7.15 p.m. Even after leaving, she was really excited about the possibility of joining Alpha Pi Omega, but she had to work on a school history paper about Halawa which again was her ancestor's tribe. So Faith and Karina went to the library together on campus around 8 p.m. that night, and they stayed for a few hours studying. Just after 11 p.m., Faith left by herself for a little while before returning to the library, and Karina stayed there the whole time. So she went back to the library, got Karina, and then at around midnight, they arrived back at their apartment where they got ready to go out for the evening. At this time, Faith was 19, almost 20, like just a few weeks away from being 20, and Karina was already 20. But the legal drinking age in North Carolina is 21 but this club was known for letting people under 21 enter to dance.
0: Faith drove the two of them and her niece on Altima, and they got to the Thrill nightclub at around 12.40 a.m. and danced for almost an hour and a half until 2.06 a.m. when they went home because Karina wasn't feeling well due to drinking too much alcohol, which she actually reported later. Around 3 a.m., they got back to their apartment. Just eight hours later, Faith Hedgepeth would be discovered dead in the apartment. She died from blunt force trauma to the head, and it was determined to have likely been from an empty Bacardi peach rum bottle, which had been found at the scene covered in blood. Police found semen samples at the scene and developed a DNA profile from it, and that DNA profile matched other male DNA that was found in the apartment.
1: And by the way, that bottle wasn't actually broken, but they did test this theory with a different bottle of the same kind against a dummy, and the bottle was so thick that it didn't break, which is why they still think that it was the murder weapon. So going back to when Faith and Karina arrived at their apartment around 3 a.m., a little after 3 a.m., a witness heard something strange. There was a woman who lived in the apartment directly beneath them, And just after 3 a.m., she heard three loud noises, which she said sounded like something heavy dropping or furniture flipping over. But at 3.40 a.m., there was a text message sent from Faith's phone. It was to her ex-boyfriend, Brandon Edwards. The text said, Hey B, can you come over here, please? Rosario needs you more, aha, you know. Please let her know you care. And just a reminder, Rosario is Karina, and that's her last name. Just three minutes after this text was sent, yet another text was sent to Brandon from Faith's phone, and all it said was the word, than. So some people now believe that this was her correcting an error in her previous text message when she wrote, aha, so it would then read, Rosaria needs you more than you know, which obviously makes more sense. So really quick, there might be some confusion on this. Brandon is Faith's ex-boyfriend. I don't know how serious they were, but there was also a rumor going around that Karina and Brandon at this time were hooking up. So it's kind of confusing to me why Faith would be texting her ex-boyfriend that her best friend needs him. That doesn't really make sense at all, but that's what happened. Well, somebody
0: texted him from Faith's phone, but we can't confirm who that actually was. Right. Around the same time as these text messages were sent from Faith's phone, Karina's phone was trying to call Brandon's, but he didn't answer. Then she called Jordan, who was a male friend from school. At 4.25am, Jordan picked up Karina and apparently said that she thought Faith was sleeping at home. Karina and Jordan went to another friend's house in the area named Jacob and got there just a few minutes later. Jacob was known to be a potentially romantic interest of Karina's. They both spent the next few hours there until 10.30 a.m. when Karina tried to call Faith, but she didn't answer the phone. Then she called her other friend Marisol to see if she could come pick her up and take her home. At about 11 a.m., they arrived at the apartment and they both went inside. That's when they found Faith in Karina's bedroom dead.
1: At 11.01 a.m., Karina called 911. I could only find about half of the actual recording, but the rest we have as a transcript that we'll explain after. Sometimes
0: Daphne and I are doing research for Going West, and we subscribe to different newspapers from all around the country, and then we forget to unsubscribe. But that's exactly why we love Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions,
1: When using all of the app's features. Stop wasting
0: money on things that you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash going west.
1: That's rocketmoney.com slash going west.
0: Rocketmoney.com slash going west.
1: Heath and I are major sufferers of seasonal allergies. They are the worst. It can even be difficult to host this show when our noses are all clogged up. We have tried brand after brand, but luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. And big shout out to Claritin for supporting this show and providing us with samples.
0: Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better.
1: I feel like I sneeze all day long. I always have an itchy face. But now I can actually go outside in the grass and not have a sneeze attack or be stuffed up thanks to Claritin D. Are you ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin
0: clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter.
1: Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription.
0: Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so that you can live
1: Claritin clear. Use as directed. Here's the first half of the nine call.
2: Nine where is your emergency? I um I just walked into my apartment and my friends just like turned you unconscious. Okay. What's your address, ma'am? I live at Hawkins at this view. Um, um, give me give me the address. I just I just moved here, I'm about to get it. Oh my god. Thirty-nine Old Chapel Hill Road, in Durham. Listen to me. Somebody's already yes. sending the ambulance. Okay. I need to get some information from you, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna help. I'm gonna tell you how to help her. Okay. 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 How, how old is your? How old is she? She's 19. Okay. I don't know. I okay. don't want to touch her, but listen to me. Is is she breathing? I don't know. You need to check and see. Is she breathing? I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, listen to me. There's blood everywhere. There's what? There's blood everywhere. Okay. I need for you to help her. I need for you to go up to her.
1: We need to see if
2: she's breathing or not okay okay (laughs) listen to me go up the paramedics are on their way i want you to stay on the line i'm going to tell you what to do next all right are you right by her now yes okay listen carefully she's not moving okay no and will you touch her arm tell me Does she, how does she feel? Okay, ma'am, we need to find out if we can help her or not. You've got to, you know, do as I'm asking so we can help her. All right?
1: So as you can tell, Karina's crying on the phone to the dispatcher. She started the call saying hi, which doesn't seem like she's very urgent, but it's also natural to start a call with hi or hello, so that might not be too weird. Throughout the rest of the call, the dispatcher asked her what happened, and Karina said that she just walked into her apartment and her friend is unconscious. Mind you, there was blood everywhere, and she says that many times. When the dispatcher asked her to see if she's alive, Karina states that she doesn't want to touch her. Even when the dispatcher wants to know whether or not Faith is breathing, she says she doesn't think so. In turn, Karina just keeps repeating, there's blood everywhere and I don't know what happened.
0: So many people noted that Karina made some mistakes. First of all, she didn't even know her own address. She actually also gave the wrong apartment number. She had to look up her apartment address even though she had been living there for at least a few months. She also made a point to say a couple times that she wasn't home when whatever happened to Faith happened and that she had just gotten home. Someone also noticed that during the call, Karina doesn't seem to be asking the dispatcher for help to save her friend, despite the fact that she supposedly thinks that she's just unconscious. She also made a point to say a couple times that it looks like someone else had been in her bedroom because there were things in there that weren't before, but she doesn't say what those things are.
1: By the way, the comments that Heath is making and the ones that I'm about to make are in the second half of the call. So these we know because of the transcripts. So first to kind of piggyback on what Heath just said, I think it's really interesting that she makes a point to say that she believes someone has been in her room, but doesn't seem afraid to be in her room, despite the fact that the killer could still be in there. So when the dispatcher is simply trying to figure out if Faith is dead or alive, Karina tries to figure out what could have happened instead of trying to help. Like when she said, She's on her back. I think she fell off the bed because she's like off the bed. There's blood all over the pillows like in the comforter and I just don't know what happened. It's also interesting that she says she thinks there was someone else in the room because like we and Karina have said, there was blood everywhere. Like, it was a murder scene. So the fact that Karina keeps stating it looks like someone had come into her room is kind of odd because that's what had to have happened because Faith didn't just die like this on her own. And throughout this call, Faith's name is actually never even mentioned. Karina just keeps calling her my friend. The call lasted just over seven minutes as the paramedics arrived. Faith was pronounced dead at the scene. Many 911 call analysts have stated that they found Karina's statements to be very deceiving. And of course, it's worth mentioning that everybody reacts differently to traumatic situations, so we're not automatically incriminating her just for the things that she said in this call. I just found a lot of information online about how it didn't really all add up, and so we just wanted to mention those things.
0: That and having a 911 analyst who is a professional say that these comments seem deceiving kind of gives us a little bit of a hint, but we're just going to try and remain unbiased and just give you guys the facts. Faith was found on the floor against Karina's bed, which was turned slightly off the bed frame and a pool of her own blood. Karina did slightly move her body to check her, and Karina told the dispatcher that Faith was cold, She had a blanket on top of her, and her shirt was pulled up, and she had no other clothes on.
1: When I initially read this, I instantly thought of the Amanda Knox case. When I was watching her documentary on Netflix when it came out originally, I remember them mentioning that her roommate who was found dead had been covered by a blanket and investigators immediately felt like this crime had been done by a woman because a man wouldn't care about covering up a woman's naked body, whereas a woman would. So I'm not saying that means a woman committed this murder, but I do think that that's an interesting point. This also kind of reminds me of the Nora Jackson case. And if you guys haven't heard of that case, we covered it a little while back. So make sure to go listen to that because there are actually a lot of similarities between these two cases as well.
0: Other than the semen and other male DNA found at the scene of the crime, they also found a white paper bag, which was from a local takeout place called Time Out, with a note on it that said in capital letters, I'm not stupid, bitch jealous. Investigators think that this note had something to do with her death and that was potentially written by her killer.
1: But that just makes me wonder, why would the killer leave a note for someone that they killed? I don't think that this note would have been written after Faith had already passed, but if it was, I don't know what the purpose would be. But I also read that the note was left on Karina's bed, which would mean that it would have most definitely been left by the killer. But since the note would be pretty incriminating, it's surprising that they would have done this at all, which is why police think it may have been a red herring and was put there to throw police off.
0: And that's kind of what I think as well, because if the note was left there, we already know that Eric Decoy Jones had some issues with Faith. So if this was in fact some doing by Karina or her friends, writing that note would be the potential reason for this. Also, there was no blood found on the bag, meaning that police believe that the killer took their time by washing their hands before writing it and carefully placing it on the bed as some kind of message. Also the note was written with a ballpoint pen, and both the pen and bag had male DNA on it. The police also pointed out that the note didn't necessarily have to be to Faith, it could have been a message to Karina assuming she's innocent.
1: Another observation, it does sound like this note would have been written by a woman, but it's also believed that Faith was sexually assaulted, especially since there was semen found on her body. But this obviously wouldn't have been done by a woman, so a male had to have been there committing this crime.
0: Well, there was actually a voicemail found that could put a woman and a man at the scene of the crime, but it wasn't released until four years after Faith's death. There was a voicemail left for one of Faith's friends by Faith. It's incredibly hard to make out, but a professional pocket call analyst determined that he believes he can hear Faith talking, and this was confirmed by family and friends as well, and also another woman's voice and two male voices. He and Faith's father believe that they hear Faith in distress. Here's a clip of part of the voicemail.
1: So this voicemail was left at 1.23 a.m., which was the same time she was at the Thrill Nightclub. And this also doesn't align with the testimony from their downstairs neighbor since she heard thuds just after 3 a.m. It doesn't mean that those thuds had to have been the murder occurring, but it sounds like it probably would have been.
0: Yeah, it definitely sounds kind of suspicious. If you hear thuds like that pretty loud at 3 a.m., you're probably going to think something is up.
1: To me, in this voicemail, it's so loud that it sounds like it has to be music. I feel like if it was from her murder, it would have been much easier to understand. Police agree that they hear music. I think it was actually a T-Pain song. But they also think they can make out some of the dialogue. And they believe that they hear a man saying, I think she's dying. And another man saying, do it anyhow. They also think that they hear Faith saying, ow, help me. And they're pretty certain that they hear the words Eric and Rosie. And Rosie was known to be Karina's nickname, since again her last name is Rosario. Police do believe that this call was made at the nightclub, meaning that her attack could have started there. And if you read along with the dialogue that the police and some analysts think is being said, it sounds like an argument could be happening and you do kind of hear some yelling, and you definitely do hear a little bit of dialogue, but the music is just so loud in the club. But part of the transcript includes things like, don't be a pussy, fight back, and put her hands behind her head, and some other aggressive discussion. But to me, a lot of the transcript just doesn't really make sense to be happening at a club, especially since Faith appears to be totally fine when she's seen leaving the club on surveillance. But I don't think that she would leave with Karina and other guys if she thought that they were going to hurt her. So I know that some professionals did look into this voicemail, but to me, it just doesn't really make sense. just freeing me from my constant anxieties. And also something I love is that their system blankets your entire home in protection from break-ins to fires to floods. And with indoor and outdoor cameras to choose from, you will feel safe any time of day or night.
0: And Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring agents to help stop crimes in real time.
1: Which is part of why they were named the best home security system of 2024. Simply Safe has given us and so many listeners real peace of mind. And we want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect Monitoring at SimplySafe.com/slash going west. There's no safe like Simply Safe.
0: In 2016, a lab was able to develop a composite from the semen that they collected at the scene. They configured the genetic blueprint of this male, and from that, they were able to build the potential appearance of this person. The people from the lab who developed this genetic blueprint were confident that it wasn't a white person, but were very confident that this guy was either Native American and European or Latino. They said that it was not a person of African descent. They're thought to have medium dark skin, dark brown eyes, and black hair, and you can find this image on our Instagram, at Going West Podcast.
1: We couldn't find Karina's official statement to police online, but we do know that she told them the story that we just told you guys. We also know that Karina mentioned that she didn't lock the door when she left the house to hang out with Jordan and Jacob. There are a lot of things that are suspicious to me about Karina. First of all, it's very convenient that she left for the entire rest of the morning and then Faith ends up murdered. Also, she was the reason that they went home that night because she wasn't feeling well. The bar was closing anyway, but it's pretty weird that she reportedly didn't feel well and then went to her friend's house for the rest of the morning. And the fact that she went into her apartment with her friend Marisol, who had dropped her off around 11 a.m. when Faith's body was discovered is really strange to me. It's possible that they had a plan to hang out at Karina's for the morning, but Karina had been up super late at her friend's house, so I'd assume she was just going to go home and sleep.
0: Roland, who is Faith's father, firmly believes that Karina knows what happened to Faith. When police arrived to the scene, Karina was calm. There's actually a video of her walking towards her car after, and she looks completely unbothered by the situation. You would never look at that video and assume that she had just found her best friend brutally murdered. Her car was also searched, but nothing suspicious was found inside.
1: Another strange piece of the 911 call is that Karina never mentioned that anyone was with her when she found Faith. But both of their really good friend Marisol was supposedly there at the time, and you couldn't even hear anyone else in the background of the call. And at one point, the 911 dispatcher even says to Karina, I don't want you to be alone right now when she's waiting for the police to arrive. And Karina says, okay. And the neighbor who heard thumping at 3 a.m., the one who lived under their apartment, had come outside around 11 a.m. when the police showed up. And she saw both Marisol and Karina look completely normal. And this was just a few minutes after they would have found Faith and she said that it didn't look like they had just witnessed something as horrific as they did.
0: So this proves that Marisol was in fact there, which makes you wonder why she wasn't able to be heard on the phone, and why Karina didn't mention that she was there or even speak to her at the time.
1: I don't want to look too much into this because I don't really know what it could even mean, but this call lasted seven minutes. And for example, Heath and I were in a car accident a few weeks ago, and I was the one who called 911. And within that call, which lasted probably about five minutes, I was talking to Heath back and forth to let him know what was going on with the police and just to kind of talk to him and make sure that he was okay with everything that was going on since we were experiencing it together. So again, not to say that everyone experiences things in the exact same way, but it's just kind of odd to me that Marisol isn't heard or mentioned on this call at all. And some people actually even suspect that Marisol was the one who made the call and was for whatever reason pretending to be Karina because they think the 911 call sounds more like her voice than Karina's based on hearing both in interviews. But just for the record, Marisol has not ever admitted to making the call. Karina said that she made it. This is just someone's theory.
0: So despite the fact that Karina was acting pretty suspicious, it doesn't answer the question, why would Karina want Faith dead? Eric Tacoy Jones is a very big suspect in this case, but his DNA was tested against that found at the crime scene, and it was not a match. His car was also searched and no evidence was found. He was known to be very cooperative with police, but there were some suspicious things surrounding him at this time, other than what we've already stated. The day before Faith was murdered, Eric texted one of his friends saying, Forgive me for what I'm about to do, and he also posted that on his Twitter. Three days after Faith was found dead, he changed his Facebook cover photo to an image that said, Dear Lord, forgive me for all of my sins and the sins I may commit today. Protect me from the girls who don't deserve me and the ones who wish me dead today. So these are obviously some pretty suspicious things to post and say. And that doesn't mean that he killed Faith, but I'm wondering what else that could potentially mean.
1: I mean, people post a lot of cryptic and vague things on the internet, but to post this before Faith's death and then another weird thing after she died is just really suspicious to me.
0: Yeah, it kind of seems like it's really bad timing for him to be posting something like that, especially since he may be a a suspect in this case.
1: But I also don't know why he would say that because I feel like those comments alone are pretty incriminating. So I don't know why he would want to put that out there if he was guilty. So many of the men who were at the Thrill nightclub the night before were found and tested, as well as every male in Faith and Karina's apartment building, but no one came up as a match. Brandon Edwards, who remember Faith or someone using Faith's phone texted the morning of the murder, was checked out, and his DNA also didn't match the DNA found at the crime scene. However, his former roommate, who knew this group of people and was questioned by police, never gave his DNA to police, and he has a history of rape and violence towards women. So we're not sure what his name is, and he was never really considered a suspect in this case.
0: David Bell was a young man who had been dancing with Faith at the Thrill that night, but he didn't know her very well, and police didn't think he had anything to do with the crime. But he also wouldn't give his DNA because he had touched Faith that night since they were dancing. He was also seen on surveillance walking out of the club with her. And apparently, his statements were also inconsistent with other people who were interviewed about that evening. Jacob Beatley was the guy who Karina was hanging out with after 4 a.m. the morning that Faith had been murdered. He also didn't give his DNA, and he was caught lying about his whereabouts. Phone records show that he was in the vicinity of Karina and Faith's apartment when he said that he was at home. He is also known to have sexually assaulted women.
1: Another young man named Reginald Leonard Jackson II was a person of interest since he had been texting Faith the night she died, but were not sure what they were talking about. He also had a history of rape, he tried to avoid police, and he refused to give DNA. Then there's Jordan McCrary, who had driven Karina away from her home and to Jacob's home that morning. So early in the morning, remember, this was around 4 a.m. People think he could have been an accomplice by helping Karina leave the scene of the murder if she is, in fact, guilty. Side note, how is this group full of rapists? You're looking at all these people and you're thinking any of these people are capable of doing this to Faith, but which one or ones was it? Right. I mean, just like every guy we mentioned, you know, like we said, Eric Tekoi Jones, he has a criminal record, you know, assault against women. He had a restraining order put against him. He hated Faith. And then there's Jordan who picked up Karina and he could have been an accomplice. And then there's Jacob who's known for sexual assault and lied about his whereabouts. Like everyone surrounding this case seems so sketchy.
0: And that's exactly why this case is so frustrating. I think a lot of us can agree that this crime seems to have been committed by one or more people that we've mentioned the murder itself seemed brutal, personal, and violent, and it seems like one or more of the people in this group are lying and knows more than they're leading on, and this also seems like there's a lot of jealousy involved in this group, and they also seem to be hooking up with each other, and Faith was apparently interested in Brandon, yet so was Karina. Meanwhile, Karina was also known to be hooking up with Jacob and had more recently broken it off with Eric, so it's honestly a Big, huge clusterfuck of people.
1: I definitely think it's possible, like you said, that one or more, especially the or more people, at least know or were involved in this crime. And a lot of people think that the note that was written on the takeout bag, the one that said, I'm not stupid, bitch, jealous, that that was written by two different people. And that potentially Karina wrote the part that said, I'm not stupid. And then maybe later, Faith wrote, bitch, jealous, or potentially the other way around because although it's all in capital letters it kind of seems like the two parts are in different handwriting almost Um, and you can find this note on our instagram which is at going west podcast if you wanted to look at the handwriting yourself and kind of analyze it and see what you think
0: so going back to eric i think it's interesting that he texted his friends and tweeted to apologize for what he was about to do if he did have something to do with faith's death I really don't know why he would incriminate himself like that, but this would prove that it was premeditated murder. Just because his DNA wasn't found at the crime scene doesn't mean he wasn't there or he wasn't an accomplice. It just wasn't his semen, but it's also believed that multiple people committed this murder.
1: Within a few days of Faith's murder, the Haluasa Pony tribe... Faith's apartment complex, her university, and the local Crime Stoppers all donated money that totaled to around $29,000 to use as reward for information leading to Faith's killer. Police believe the person or persons responsible knew Faith, had been interested in her, and expressed it at some point, and possibly showed interest in her case afterwards. Her autopsy report wasn't released until two years after her murder, even to her family which was in September 2014. In addition to the blunt force trauma to her head, she had cuts and bruises all over her body and even had blood under her fingernails. And police think that this means that she fought back.
0: This is definitely a very frustrating case with seemingly a lot of evidence, yet for some reason, it has not been solved. Today, Faith Hedgepeth would have been 27 years old.
1: Like Heath said, this is definitely a really frustrating case because there is so much here. You know, we have DNA, we have a 911 call, we have a roommate and another witness downstairs, and we have all these people that were involved that night. They talk to people at the club, they have video surveillance of the club, they have all this stuff. And so it just doesn't make any sense how it hasn't been solved. But I mean, when you really look at the case and you see all these people involved whose DNA has been tested and hasn't matched up, yet the attack seems so personal. You know, even sitting here researching all this, I have no idea who did it, how many people did it, was it one person, was it a few, and why? It just doesn't make any sense. But another thing I think is crazy is how the lab came up with that genetic blueprint from the DNA and how they basically determined what the person who did this likely looks like, because I've never seen that in any other case. And like we mentioned earlier, that photo is up on our Instagram and I think they put on the news and they put it out there, but nobody called and they didn't have any good leads on someone who looked like that. So unfortunately that hasn't brought anyone into the case, but it's still really cool that they did that.
0: Yeah, that's definitely very cool. And, you know, this case happened in 2012. So now that we have genealogy DNA testing, I think that that's really where they need to kind of steer their investigation because that is going to help solve this case.
1: And so many other cases aren't fortunate enough to have DNA evidence. And the fact that they have two different types of DNA evidence in this case and that they still didn't crack it. I'm sure someday they will. Like you said, with genealogy, I'm sure that will be a big help in this case down the line.
0: Yeah, I'm really hoping that investigators will go down that road and try and see if they can solve this case through genealogy testing so that we can get some justice for Faith and her family. If you have any more information, no matter how seemingly inconsequential it is, about the murder of Faith Hedgepeth. Please contact Chapel Hill UNC Crime Stoppers at 919 942 7515.
1: Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West.
0: Yes, thank you so much, everyone. And like I always say, next week we'll have an all new episode for you guys to dive into.
1: Please let us know what you think about this episode and give us your theories. We love reading theories, but in particular, this case is super frustrating and we'd love to know what you guys think.
0: So go check us out on Instagram at Going West Podcast. And don't forget to go over to Twitter and visit me at Going West Pod.
1: Also, we have a Facebook page. Just go on to Facebook and look up Going West True Crime
0: and you guys have been super super awesome lately we've got a lot of new patrons it's getting really fun over there we've got seven bonus episodes for you guys to get into so go over there subscribe it's only five dollars a month that's like basically just a coffee so make sure you go over there sign up for some bonus ad free episodes
1: Yes. And we just released a new episode on the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. So that just came out last week. We know you guys are going to love it. We have another one coming in a couple weeks from now. So stay tuned and check us out patreon.com slash going west podcast.
0: So for everybody out there in the world,
1: don't be a stranger.